less provocative. <laughs> We're walking through the book of Colossians, so if you have your Bibles with you, you need to go ahead and turn there, get set up in the book of Colossians. We're now in the third chapter as we continue on through this directive that God has laid out for us in relationship to our faith and our walk and our understanding of how everything works, how everything comes together. We've discussed a number of different areas. The first one we talked about was that chapter 1 deals with the issue of how we are saved, that it's about what Christ has done, not about what we're trying to do. Then we move to the second chapter, and it discusses the issue of new rules versus relationship, that both good and bad things have happened as a result of our new position in Christ, and that is no longer do we have a simple check set of checkpoints that we can say, as long as I do these things, I'm okay. He says, no, it's not about rules anymore. It's about a relationship with God that continues and grows and develops and changes all the time as he responds to us and recognizes our maturity and calls us to greater levels of both growth and reaction to him. So the second chapter is about rules versus relationship and tries to focus us on this new relationship we have, this new position that we're in within Christ. Now, following that, we move to the third chapter. In the third chapter, Paul begins to get far, far more specific. Now he begins to lay out what can appear to be rules, but he's clarified to us earlier they are not rules. They are a set of directives, a set of principles, a set of simple truths that we are to recognize and follow because it's as we live within this process that we encounter God and we're able to lead others to a relationship with him as well. So he tells us that now we as a people are set apart differently, that we're called to be involved in the process that we referred to last week as smultification. All right? It's a simple word. It's not so simple, I know. But you could look that up. And what it refers to is about this remarkable change that is happening in your life as you continue on the journey that God has for you in your life here today. That day by day, week by week, month by month, God provides us with different opportunities and interactions. And through those, he brings about what we call smultification, which is a simple thing in which you totally change. And it's not because of what you've done. It's because of who you are. You see, what's happened is God continues to change us. We are this unusual, as we refer to this salmon, who is going through physiological, behavioral, and actual physical changes in our body, in our inner spirit, in our soul as a result of continuing to interact with God. So Paul tells us you are becoming a brand new person. You are new and you're becoming new. So you're becoming what God always wanted you to be to begin with. And that's the Christian walk, encountering this incredible faith journey that God has each one of us on at different places, at different paces, with different purposes. So no one can say to the other, you're supposed to be doing what I'm doing. God says, no, no, no. I'll tell them what they need to do. You need to listen to what I'm telling you what to do. So we each find ourselves in this remarkable position where we have a relationship with God. 
where Jesus becomes like a brother to us and where the father becomes the one who guides and leads our life and brings about these remarkable changes. Now, today, Paul refers to this issue of holiness. And so he starts off with this interesting statement. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. So he says, we're not supposed to be naked Christians running around, right? We're supposed to have clothing, and it's inward clothing. It's not outward clothing. Now, interesting enough, this week while I was driving, there was a policeman who showed up and began to give directions in terms of what we were supposed to do, and he was telling me to go in a direction that I didn't want to go in. And so being me, I thought, maybe I can talk him out of it. And I began to nudge my car over in that direction. He turned, he looked at me, pointed at me, and he said, and I, yes, sir, and I did exactly what he told me to do. All right? Now, I did this not because he was this big framed person, but because he had on a dress a particular statement of authority which told me that if I did not respond to him, I was going to respond to him anyway. I recognized the dress, and if I pushed it farther, I would have seen a badge. And if I pushed it farther, I would have seen a gun. You see, his authority was represented by his form of dress. And Paul is telling us that we, in the same way, are to dress ourselves in holiness. We're to dress ourselves in such a way that people recognize the authority of Jesus reigning and directing our lives. So he tells us, and I want you to read that with me. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. You see, that is the cry to begin with. He says, therefore, because all these things have happened, because you are smultifying, because you're in this journey, because God has a particular plan and purpose and intention for you, therefore, you are to clothe yourself in this particular way so that you can accomplish that which God has set you aside for. In fact, the word holy simply means set apart for a purpose. It doesn't mean you're wrapped in special white robes. It means you've been set apart for a purpose by God. Therefore, as people clearly chosen by God, you are holy, you are special, you are loved, Therefore, clothe yourself in this way with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another when, is better than if, any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on or bind yourself with love because this binds everything together in perfect Unity. It makes everything work. Father, today we ask that you might speak to us about this calling. That you might make us aware of what it means to be set apart for you. And that each one of us here can be committed to this multiplication process. That you can change us as you desire and use us as we are needed. We come to you today and ask that you would speak. Lord, we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hmm. 
Now, God is saying that you've been set apart, you've been chosen. It's more about holiness than happiness. There's a purpose, there's an intention for it. I, I love this. I read about this just uh, recently. It was actually a little bit ago. It was a billboard in Wooddale, Illinois. And the billboard said this, Terry, please marry me, Bob. Now, the company reported that 10 other women named Terry who were dating a guy named Bob called to see if they were the one. In fact, one gal named Terry was dating two Bobs, and she still didn't get it. Interesting picture. God is far more specific to us. He speaks to each one of you, and he said, you've been chosen, holy, dearly loved, intentionally, with a purpose and an intention, exactly as you are and who you are, as you continue to go through the change. He says, you're chosen, so in this process, you need to put on the right dress. Now, we've got uh, Eric Lowe over here, and he, he's a coach for football coach. Now, Eric, he's, he's in the back because he's the biggest guy in, in the whole place, so he likes not for people to see his back. He has to play, you know, get all these guys together to get to play football, and I guarantee he doesn't have them line up in board shorts and say, okay, guys, we're going to go get them. They line up in a particular form of dress that identifies them as football players for the purpose they've been set aside to do. And he tries to help them accomplish what they most want to do, which is win, and show them the way in which they can get it done. God has said, you have a form of dress, and your form of dress has these particular types of clothing. You might say these particular colors of clothing that you are to wear on a regular basis. The picture is that of integrity. And integrity means everything holds together. Okay, when someone says they have integrity, it doesn't just mean that he's honest. It means that everything he does fits together. It holds together. For something to have integrity means when you stand on it, it holds up. And the picture here is that we hold up in the situation that we are involved in, that our word is our bond, that we put character above wealth, that we make no compromise with wrong, that we're authentic, we're consistent, we're loyal, we're dependent on God, and we can easily be taken advantage of because of our beliefs. I want you to hear that again. We can easily be taken advantage of because of our beliefs. And I want to say this. That's okay. That's okay. Let yourself be taken advantage of because of your beliefs. That's okay. God has said, You don't have to worry about that. I'll worry about that. I'll handle it. And you in faith depend on me and you'll watch everything happen in the way it needs to happen. So he points out five different colors of grace, I call these. And the reason I call them grace is because it's more of a dress style, okay? And these grace colors, it's more of a style that is a particular rule of thumb. Once again, Paul doesn't say, okay, here's your checkpoints. Check, 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 check. He said, no, 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 no. This is a general picture that these qualities, these colors should be part of your life. You're supposed to have the color of compassion in your life. You have hearts of mercy is the term used here. Because he had mercy on us, we need to have mercy on others. And mercy is simply this, not giving someone what they deserve. Hey, that's all mercy is. Not giving someone what they deserve. Well, you deserve, and I choose not to give it. I have mercy on you. We have compassion. We have compassion. Mercy. 
Then there's kindness. This is more mercy expressed. This is more mercy expressed. These are specific deeds and works that communicate that the person is valuable, that they're worth showing kind actions to, that will go out of our way to share kindness and take care of them. So we call them and say, what can I do for you? How can I help you in this situation? We recognize their special need and we bring over meals and we take care of babysitting. We do whatever needs to be done and we show kindness towards them. I had a great story. It's a true story. It's a true story. The particular, in fact, the gal was sharing about it later at church, I think it was. But she said this particular grandma made a phone call to her, to her daughter and was having a terrible day. She said, the baby won't eat. The washing machine is broken. The house is a mess. I don't have time to go shopping. There's people coming over for dinner. She starts crying. Starts, I don't know what to do, mom. She says, whoa, whoa, take it easy, take it easy. Sit down and relax. I'm coming over. I'll fix dinner. I'll take care of the washing machine. Don't worry. I'll call the guy to get it taken care of. I'll get the house cleaned. I'll even call John and tell him to come home and help. And there was silence on the other end. The gal said, John? Who is John? She said, your husband. She said, this is 55511246. No, it's 5551264. There's silence. And then the gal says, then I said, does this mean you're not coming over? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Showing kindness, folks. It's a process by which we truly help someone who is struggling or in a hurting situation. We show humility. Humility. Now, did you notice he got left out of the outline? That's typical. That's typical. Humility always finds itself left out. Humility never shows itself. It just shows up. It takes care of things and never takes credit for it. That's how humility works. Humility is this wonderful, marvelous thing that we rarely see because when it happens, it's never seen. That's the point. The story of the pastor who was so humble, the congregation gave him a medal and then they took it away when he wore it. Get any idea? Humility. If you think you got it, guess what? You don't. That's the nature of it. It's this, oh. Someone says, why'd you do that? You go, do what? What'd I do? And it was something that you did that they recognized as truly humble towards other people. Humility. Eh? Gentleness. Learning to give a sensitive response rather than a defensive reaction. That's incredibly difficult to do, by the way. To be gentle, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But when somebody speaks to me and it's in an area that I'm uncomfortable with, I usually respond with what? Defensive reaction of some type. If it's not anger, it's a subtle put down. It's not gentleness. Patience. The word here simply means to be long-tempered, to put it with someone else's faults or traits that are irritant. Patience. Again, the interesting thing about patience is people that are patient don't know they are. They don't know it. They're just patient. And people will say, you are so patient. And you'll think, huh? What do you mean? It's a trait, a color that comes out of our lives. We're in the process of smultifying that God produces through us. And then he moves to some of the major things. This is forgiveness. Carisome. It means 
to give grace. The word for forgiveness, translate here forgiveness, literally means to give grace when others are giving nothing. Um, one of the marvelous pictures of, of forgiveness, uh, one that happened uh, fairly recently with one of our more famed people that many of us know who joined the Angels team, uh, Josh Hamilton, went through a very, very difficult time in his life with drugs. His life was falling apart. But most people don't know the background of how things turned around. Let's take a look and see. People are involved in struggles and difficulties and questions. And we're all called to smultify. And God is saying, I desperately need you to allow the change to happen. And the change will only happen if you'll clothe yourself with these glorious colors. He said, and the last color that's the most important is the color of love. He said, this wondrous, incredible coat, the skin of Jesus is what I call it. The skin of Jesus wrapped around us. It holds everything together. It makes everything work. It, it, it enables us to do that which we otherwise could not do at all. He somehow brings into us the ability to forgive and the ability to love. And it's literally outside of ourself. And we find ourselves going, look what God has done. Look what God is doing. And that love looks at others around us and sees this amazing potential. Not potential problems, but potentiality. Wonderful gifts and abilities and understanding and insight. It, it demands that we eliminate all the buts. Someone said, what are you talking about? It's the, well, you know, he's a nice person, but... And, and she works hard, but, and I like him, yeah, but there are no buts in love. See, that's a wonderful thing is we don't do the buts. We find ourselves instead seeing potential. And love then pulls us, or as a, a group back in my day said, keeps us together. Love keeps us together. It's the trait that makes all the other godly traits effective. Patrick Morley said, love is the glue that holds us together and the oil that keeps us from rubbing each other the wrong way. It draws people together rather than pushing them away. It tears down walls of division and builds bridges of unity. It understands rather than condemns. Jesus said, the remarkable thing about my followers is that people will know them by their love for one another. This remarkable, demonstrable action towards one another. Uh, Andy Rooney, some of you remember that, I used to watch his commentaries all the time. He, he died a few years ago. But one particular commentary, he said this, I've decided that I'm against abortion. I think it's murder. But I have a dilemma in that I much prefer the pro-choice people to the pro-life people I'd much rather eat dinner with a group of the former. I really don't care who Andy Rooney eats dinner with, okay? That doesn't matter to me. But I do care about the fact that we have gotten so caught up in our issues that other people don't see grace and love flowing through us. 
Because Jesus didn't tell us he get caught up in issues, which were easy to do, or a new set of rules or regulations. He says, you need to get caught up in love. You need to get caught up in grace. You need to get caught up in forgiveness because that's the way that the world will be changed. It won't happen as a result of our zealous behavior in particular areas. It was Mark Twain who once said, having spent time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Ow. So Paul lays out these sets of colors that are like, okay, this is the color we're supposed to be changing into. As he smultify, it's a silver color for, for a salmon. For us, it's all these marvelous mixture rainbows of colors that should be coming into our life. And then he says, but there's certain pr- principles I'm going to bring you back to. He says, these are experiences that you should be having regularly with Christ in your life. They're grace principles. And he starts with, you must let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because with one body you were called to peace. And then be thankful for that peace. Let the message of Christ dwell among you, live among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father, our God, through Him. These distinctive aspects, he says, of experiences with Christ. The first one is this, His peace rules. His peace rules. He's the umpire. He's the referee. He's the slow-mo guy that says, yes, his knee hit the ground first. But you're wrong. God says, let the peace of my son rule and let that be predominant. Not winning, not being right. Let the peace rule. If there isn't the peace of Christ, then you're outside of where God desires for us to be. You're not experiencing Christ. You're experiencing something other than. It's not peace at any price. It's peace at the price that Jesus paid on the cross. That's his cry. He says, look what I've done for you. All I asked is let peace rule. And then we respond. Are you thankful for the peace? Because, boy, there's something I found in my life. Every time I don't let the peace rule, my gut gets stirred up. My mind gets stirred up. My heart gets stirred up. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uneasy. Even if I got my way, especially if I got my way. Until such time as I get back to that place and let say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It wasn't that I was wrong when I said I was wrong in the way I said it. I was wrong in the way it was presented. I am so sorry Forgive me for that. I want the peace of Christ to be the rule in all that we do. I've had people come to me early in my walk with the Lord, especially as a pastor. And when I was in my 30s, and I was just so adamant. And, and then on the other side was God ruling and moving in my life. And I remember one of my elders coming to me and saying, Lee, you have this wonderful spirit of God within you that is so incredible. And then you have this dominant thing that takes over at times. 
And my immediate response, you know what it was? Yeah, you know what it was. <laughs> what? And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, listen, listen. I was like, and I started bringing out the buts. But, 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 but. And he said, Lee, I'm not angry at you. I just see this marvelous thing that God is doing in your life. And, and I want you to continue to be able to, but you're not going to get it done by forcing your own way. I would encourage you, just back off and let God do what he does. I said, I'll do my best. And God taught me a huge amount then, and I never, ever did that again. <laughs> I did it less than I did before. My wife says, yeah, you're still red, Lee, whether you like it or not. I said, I know, I had that thing in me. I've got this red rule going on. Let peace rule. Let his word dwell. I love this text. Let his word dwell with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's, it's this memorization picture that goes with us everywhere. Whatever we do, we're sharing the word and the wonder of God. Teaching, you know, enabling others to understand the truth of God. I still remember the first time I was teaching a Bible study and this person says, wow, this makes it so clear. I said, what are you talking about? It's just obvious what it says there. And he goes, no, it isn't. I said, yes, it is. He said, no, it isn't. I went, Really? He said, you've got a gift. I do? Yeah. I went, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Admonishing. That's counseling, maybe a better word. It's helping people understand how to put into place the things that they've learned in their life, in their marriage, in their relationships. Counseling them. Oh, yeah, this is how you do it. And they go, oh, my goodness, that works. Yeah, isn't it great? And his word dwells in us and it guides and directs and puts it all together. And then lastly, his name completes. So experiences with Christ, his peace rules, his word dwells. We're constantly in the word, learning and growing and developing and teaching and admonishing and finding, gaining wisdom. And then his name completes everything. Jesus is always the bottom line. He's the co-signer because we don't have anything in the bank. Got nothing. I got nothing. I'm dead. I got nothing. But I've got Jesus who co-signs for me in every situation. And he signs the bottom line. And then we see this remarkable, marvelous, glorious things take place. I'm able to write these checks for God and they're good. <laughs> I got to tell you the story. Michael Carter, he's a 14-year-old at, at Max Abbott Middle School. His teacher was, was Mrs. Smith. Yes, really was. Her name is Smith. Eighth grade teacher, and one day he's got these big baggy pants all walking around, and she jokingly says, hey, you know, you need to put a better belt on those pants. They're all going to fall off. And he said, he said, turned to her and said, I'd really like to, but I've got a dialysis equipment, and that's why we have all this stuff here, and it's holding And she's like, oh, great. <laughs> oh, good. Foot in mouth, foot in mouth, foot in mouth. And she, he says, I'm trying to get a kidney. I, I need a kidney and don't have one. And so she says, well, tell you what. You got one now. You can use mine if it fits. And it did. <laughs> she went in and found she had a perfect fit, was able to give him her kidney and provide him with the ability to continue in life. These are interesting comments she made. She said, God's lesson is simple. He Be open to the needs in front of you. And then his riches will come back to you far more than you can ever imagine. God's message, simple. He is at work and miracles still happen. You heard the cry of the Hamilton family? <laughs> what God is doing, 
And we could have family after family after family declare the wonder of God's forgiveness. Today we're going to share in this fabulous time of the Lord's Supper. It's a time in which we get a chance to remind ourselves of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, of what it was all about when he provides for us this, wow, amazing opportunity to put on the colors of grace. And he says, you can do all these things. You can be smultified because of what I have done for you. That I died on the cross and shed my blood so your sins could be forgiven and so that you could be involved in the process of forgiving one another. So you could be a church, a called out group of people who know God and have a relationship with his son. You see, Jesus talks about this element of forgiveness and how it releases God's grace. And that's what happens when we receive in that wonderful day the grace of Jesus. We admit that we're a sinner. We need someone to take care of this problem. And Jesus says, hey, I tell you what, I already took care of it. All you have to do is recognize that I am who I say I am, ask me to forgive you, and I have the ability to miraculously provide you with complete forgiveness of all your sins. I can even remove the guilt out of your conscience and your heart. I can have you experience the reality of God himself right here and now. And all you have to do is believe and then confess, commit to me as Lord and Savior of your life, and you'll begin the journey of smultification. You'll begin this wondrous journey in which you experience God's power in you. Wow, and it is an amazing journey. Uh, but let me say, forgiveness was not easy for Jesus. Somebody said, well, he's just kind of do." I said, no, he died, he bled, he suffered. He went through all these things in order to grant us forgiveness. And it wasn't a simple thing. And it will not be for you to give. Because interestingly enough, Jesus does make one simple qualification in order for you to receive forgiveness. Do you remember what it was? As I forgive you, so you must forgive one another. That is an incredibly difficult commandment. I go, hold it, Lord. I didn't know that when I started. That, I, I didn't see that in the small print. Jesus said, I've always made it very, very clear. As you forgive others, so you will be forgiven. Both receiving it and pointing it out in your own life. You see, forgiveness is supernatural. It's not natural. How else can you explain a parent who can forgive someone who murdered their child? Or a particular spouse whose spouse was involved in adultery and they forgive them and draw them back in. How can you do that? You can't. You can't. But God can through you. I want to read this little story from Max Lucado. He says this, perhaps... The wound is old. A parent abused you. A teacher slighted you. And you're angry. Or, or maybe the wound is fresh. And the friend who owes you money just drove by in a brand new car. The boss who hired you with promises of promotion has forgotten how to pronounce your name. Your circle of friends escaped on a weekend getaway and 
you weren't invited. And you are hurt. Part of you is broken. And the other part of you is bitter. Part of you wants to cry and the other part of you wants to lash out. The tears you cry are hot because they come from your heart. And there's a fire burning there. It's a fire of anger and it's blazing. It's consuming. The flames leap up under a steaming pot of revenge. And you're left with a decision. Do I put the fire out or do I heat it up? Do I get over it or do I get even? Do I release it or do I resent it? Do I let my hurts heal or do I allow my hurts to turn into hate? Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. Unfaithfulness is wrong. Revenge Just bad. But the worst part of all of it is this. Without forgiveness, all that is left is bitterness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness actually changes your attitude, folks. It hasn't taken place until you can honestly seek the good of the other person. You honestly want good things to happen to them. You make an effort to restore the relationship rather than to avoid the relationship. Forgiveness has taken place when past actions no longer hold a present bearing. And it takes time. It's seldom a one-time affair. We have to consciously seek to forgive again and again. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I just can't seem to forgive myself. Well, let's do it again. And again, and again, and again, until it takes hold in your heart. You have to understand that the act of forgiveness may not heal the relationship with the person who hurts you. The person we forgive may not even see anything needs to be forgiven of. But God calls us not to wait for them to make the first move. The rule is simple. If You have been hurt. Choose to forgive. Can't think of a more difficult command in Scripture. Can't think of one. Sometimes we feel paralyzed. I remember well. I've been involved in many, I guarantee you. Where you go, but God, I just don't understand. How could they have done this? And why would you want me to forgive them? Why would you want me to do anything but make sure that they paid for this? And God speaks clearly, and all he says is, as I have forgiven you, so you are to forgive them. And you may think it's impossible, and it is outside of the Spirit of God. It was Philip Yancey who once said in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of, of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God's a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even, and I leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave it in God's hands, the scales that must balance justice and mercy. So today, as we come to this table, I encourage you to before you take of it, 
speak to God and say, God, I forgive them, whoever that them is, for what they have done. And I ask you to help me to forget it. Can you do that? Can you do that? That's my cry today. As you come down, we're going to come down the right side. We have another table in the back. John's going to take it in the back. I think over here I'm going to have Tim. He's going to take this table over here. And Don and Jill are going to take this table over here. And they're going to share with you. The worship team's going to come up right now. And they're going to play a little background music for us. So we won't feel quite so uncomfortable. <laughs> and we're going to come down one by one. But before we do, I want you to do this. I want you to take off your shoes. You're going, oh, not the shoe thing, Pastor. Yes, the shoe thing. I remember the marvelous time when Moses himself was called by God into the fire. And God said, remove your shoes. And after he removed his shoes, he came to the fire and God cleansed him completely and totally. And after he came back out, cleansed and called, holy and dearly loved, God had him put back on his shoes and begin the journey that he'd been called to live. Not with different shoes, but with different socks. <laughs> Father, today we come to you and we ask that you might continue to use us according to your will in the manner in which you choose. But first of all, we ask that you'd give us the ability to forgive those who have hurt us. Remove the bitterness. Replace it with your peace. Grant us your love. And let us extend a hand. Let us speak the words. Let us grab a hold of the wonder that only you give as we forgive others and a prisoner is released and we suddenly discover that we were the prisoner all along. Thank you as you do it. Speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Side to side or to the back. Go to the sides. Come down. Take a bit of... Juice, take it back to the seat with you. We'll join together. If you're new with us, that's quite all right. If you know the Lord, we encourage you. Join with us, sharing this wondrous time of forgiveness and hope.